0: I know this has happened to you before and probably just like it has happened to me. You, someone approaches you, someone that you may not know real well or may not like real well, but he approaches you very aggressively and he or she tries to grab your hand and says to you, Oh, Kirk, I am so glad to see you. So glad to see you. And if he hasn't grabbed your shoulder yet and pulled you to himself or herself, he's grabbed your hand, not just with one, but with both, as if he is certainly in glad to see you. Oh, Kirk, I am so glad to see you. And you look so good. You look so good. And he's not through yet. He's not through yet. He says, "Well, and and how glad I am! You look so good, so good. And your lovely wife and your children—those talented, good-looking children. How are they? Are they good too?" And this is what we call glad handing. So, with one hand extended and grabbed. With the other hand, you reach back to your back pocket because you hold on to your wallet because you know this guy wants something from you. He wants something bad from you. And I guess we all recognize this teeth flashing, eyes intent, because we have always seen this over and over again, and more than that. We have done it ourselves. My son, who's a banker, by the way, says when he's glad-handing people, he'll look at me and say, I learned it from the best, Dad. We all realize early in life, I suppose, that we uh, expect to get something from someone, we've got to get something first, give something first. I wonder how old we were when we learned that first. I expect we were small children when we learned that in order to get something in life, you've got to give something in life. I, we probably learned that from our parents. If you, We thought like if you want to uh, win their approval, you want to win the approval of the people whom we love, then you have to learn to eat with a spoon. You have to do something to, with that little porcelain pot sitting there other than just sit on it. You have to uh, learn to sit up straight. You have to learn to be quiet and tuck your shirt in. You have to stop picking on your brother and sister. You have to bring the car back with gas. You have to study to get an A in a test. You have to get up so you can go to work. You have to be back by midnight. And the list goes on and on and on. We learned early on that if, or at least we thought we learned this, that if you want to be approved, if you want to be loved, if you want to get along, you've got to give something. We learned it not just from our parents, but we learned it from our peer group as well, and from our friends and siblings. You learned that you've got to share the sandbox. Somebody else gets a piece of the pie, you don't get the whole thing. You learned that you've got to throw a ball to your pal on the playground sometime anyway, if you expect him to be your friend. And when you get to be a teenager, you learn that you've gotta you've gotta use deodorant if you want to have a date. I mean, you learn that in order to get something, you've got to give something. It's a quid pro quo world out there. If you expect anything in return, you got to be giving out on this end. UPS has a uh, advertising slogan right now: "What can Brown do for you?" No, Brown the. Brown trucks that UPS have. What can Brown do for you? Well, all of us are wise enough to know that Brown may be able to do something for us, but Brown's got something else in mind. It wants business. It's looking at the bottom line. It's not looking at what it can do for you, it's looking at what you can do for a Brown. Now, this, this that I've described, there's nothing sinister or immoral or unethical about it at all. It's not necessarily anything honorable about it, but it's the way the world operates. It's the way we get along in life. You learn to give if you're going to get. And the church confirms this over and over again. The church confirms this every Sunday when we meet in church. We come to understand that God wants something from us. I mean, we learn it over and over. He wants our devotion, He wants our attention. The preacher wants your attention anyway. He wants your allegiance, He wants your tithe, He wants your attendance. The church wants your rightful behavior, your moral behavior. The Bible, after all, says that God wants us to give our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, everything we have to him. So this is a major teaching of the church, and it's one that I certainly don't apologize for. I've preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons over the years, asking people to give something to God. Every Sunday, we're reminded, you're to give something to God. Your confession, we've done that. Your offering, we've done that. Your praise and adoration, hopefully we've done that. And at the end of the service, when we announce the hymn, we'll ask you to come and give your life to Christ again, anew and afresh. So over and over, we don't apologize for the fact that we ask you to give something to God. It is, after all, a part of the faith. But this passage reminds us of the other side of the equation. And it's one that we don't hear or talk about often simply because I guess it's not the way we operate as often. It's not the norm for us. It simply says, as Paul prays for us, he says, I pray that you would come to understand that God wants you to have something. It's not about what you can get from God, but what God can give you. That God wants you to have, have something without any strings attached. In fact, it's one of the salient differences in the Christian faith. That God wants us to have something. It's not about what God gives us. I mean, what we give God, but it's about what we can find from God. Essentially, this prayer is a prayer to the church at Ephesus. Paul says, I fall down on my knees. Now, Jews generally pray standing up. Maybe you've seen those pictures that are a bit puzzled a little bit of the wall in Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall. And you see the Jews standing there in motion as if they were bobbing. So that every time they say the name of God or have the thought of God, they are humbling themselves and, and, and bowing before God. Uh, want, they don't want, to, they want, don't want to be caught Standing upright in the presence of God. And so they're constantly nodding and bobbing and bowing as they pray in the name of God and in the spirit of God. Paul says, I do more than that. I get down on my knees. I prostrate myself before God and beg him that you might come to understand that this is not about what you owe him. It's about what God wants to give you. That God wants to give you the fullness of life. That there is no dimension that can measure it. Not breadth, nor height, nor length, nor depth. Nothing can measure what God wants to do for you. I probably told you in my many sermons here over the years that Robert's aunt and uncle won the lottery about a dozen years ago. Twelve million dollars. They won $12 million, and suddenly they had a lot of friends, a lot of friends. In fact, I went the next week and just reminded them that he had always been my favorite aunt and uncle. They had always been my favorite aunt and uncle. And I reminded him that he sang at my wedding, and, you know, I had, we had a special bond. Laughed about that, but, you know, he had so many people asking him for money that they had to change their phone number and get a unlisted number for a period of time because people wanted something from them. And, you know, we have this feeling that if you've got a lot, you can get a lot. And so people who have money sometimes say that they recognize that they don't know who their friends are. And I remember talking to a fellow who had quite a bit of money and he said he finally learned to gauge his true friends by the ones who would sometimes say to him, let me, let me take you. Let me pick up the tab. This is on me. That he didn't expect someone always to be on the receiving end, but he was the one who getting something. I guess we all learn sooner or later that true friendship is depending upon the willingness of folks who offer something to us rather than want something from us. If that's true, then our relationship to God or in a marriage or any loving relationship should be based on a realization of what the not what we can give in a situation but what they offer to us. Um, I read of, on, on the same note of a man during the Depression who had a lot of money and a lot of friends and then when he lost his money he lost his friends and he too came to understand that the true friends were the ones who came and offered him help when he was bankrupt. There are times my friends when our relationships with other people disappoint us when they don't offer us anything, when they are bankrupt our friends are not just financially but emotionally or even spiritually morally they disappointed us they have nothing to offer us in this friendship except friendship and it is in those moments that we find out who our true friends are when we have nothing to gain from a relationship in fact it might cost us the relationship that god has with us cost him it's not about what god can get from us the scripture talks about what god wants to give us in the fullest dimension neither height nor breadth there's no limit to what he wants he wants us to have the fullness of experience he wants to have us all that is good in life he wants for us he's not into what you give him That's not what it's about for him. It's about what he can give you. It takes a long time for us to learn this, but we see it sometimes. As parents, we come to understand this. That there are times when our children may disappoint us. We may be saddened by their behavior. And we may be even ashamed of their behavior. But we are never ashamed of them. They are still our children and will always be our children. I read where a lady one time recognized, had not ever recognized how much her birth pained her mother. But she said when her mother was brought home one time to recoup from an illness, she had to give her a sponge bath. And she saw for the first time the scar of a C-section. Her mother had never shown her the scar. She had never talked about the pain. Never talked about the bandages. The pull of the sutures. Because you see, love doesn't keep a list of its hurts. Love is not that way. Love is what can be given, not gathered. So the passage of scripture before us today Paul prays He falls down on his knees And and prays the church Would come to understand what grace is about What love is truly about It's not about what the church can give to God Though of course that's a part of the equation The primary function of of Paul's prayer Is that the church might come to understand The fullness of what God can give us So grace Turns the human experience on its head, if you will. We are not loved because of what we can give God. Because of the way we behave. But we are loved because we are loved. And grace comes to teach us that even as we come to understand that with each other. I guess what grace really wants to do is turn the glad hand. Hey, the phony little, hey, you're doing nothing, yes, sir, I love you, yes, sir. That phony glad hand of what what's gonna, this is going to cost me to a grace hand. When God says, here, this is what I want for you. Have it. It's yours. Full, free, abundant life. God holds his hand out towards us, not to get from us, but to give us his grace and his love and his forgiveness and all those dimensions that are beyond dimensions, beyond height and breadth and length. So there have been many times when I've told you over the years that God wants something from you. And I will continue to do that. God does want something from you. But on this day, on this day, I remind you more than ever before: it is not what God wants from you, but it's what God wants for you. Are you willing to receive what He offers? Because that comes first. And if you want what, if you take what He wants for you, then all else will be resolved. I'm convinced of that. If you will take. What God offers you without its dimensions, it's so full and so free, everything else will take its rightful place. Shall we pray? Forgive us, our Father, when we think that our relationship with you should be based on the one that we have here on this earth, filled with contracts and obligations, filled with fine print. But let us rather understand, our Father, that you hold your hand out to us in love and forgiveness, wanting us to have all good things in life, and that whether we give you anything back in return, you will always love us, and we will always have the same offer. It makes no difference if we be in jail or we be in church. It makes no difference whether we have money or whether we have none, you will always love us because your gospel tells us that it is not about what you want from us, but what you, in fact, want for us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.